Hello, and welcome to episode 213 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with... Jason Rabinowitz. And Ian, I sense that you are further away than usual today. I am further away than usual. Well, further away from you, anyway. That's right. Where are you? I am sitting in Stockholm, Sweden, as we speak. Oh, that's nice. I know. It has been nice. The weather has not cooperated, so that's been less than exciting. But it, it finally got nice today. I mean, it's not December, and it's not raining, so that's better than our usual trip there. Yeah, it's it's not December and raining. It, it has rained and, and misted most of the week, but today ended up being a, a lovely day, a lovely spring day, so got to enjoy a bit of the city and take that in. But it's been a good week, bringing on some fresh faces to the team which is why I'm over here. And, and so that's been a lot of fun onboarding a new colleague who I imagine you'll be hearing from sooner rather than later on this podcast. So I'm excited about all of the new things that we're working on and, and growing the team and, and meeting other new folks who are joining Flight Radio 24. That was an exciting time because we've got a lot of new faces coming on board and quite a few of them were in, in the office this week. So that was nice. That's nice. Yeah. We had a fun adventure this morning when the nuclear power plants went offline for a little bit. And that caused us some disruption because of some of our systems lost cooling in the data center in which they reside. And so that was an interesting experience. Just turn it off and back on again. They'll be fine. Yeah. Apparently, you can just turn off a nuclear power plant, two nuclear power plants or power stations, I guess. I want part of one one plant. So that was fun. But now I'm talking to you and having having an enjoyable evening. How are you, Excellent. sir? I, I'm good. It's a little earlier than usual here. So I have a coffee instead of a different kind of beverage. Uh -huh. But we've got some news to talk about. You, you yes. put together a good rundown this week. I hope to do it justice, or I hope the, the rundown does us justice. Let's talk about something that was unveiled today that either has the ability to change the face of aviation in the United States or do absolutely nothing? I'm uh, usually the pessimistic, pessimistic one. So I'm on the side of this will amount to nothing. But why don't we explain what it is first? Okay. And then we can, you know. And then we can be pessimistic about it. Yes. So the FAA announced that it is going to have an expert aviation safety review panel. And the folks on the panel are experts in their field, former NTSB chairs, former union leaders, former NASA administrator, former NASA and administrators, astronaut. Yep. There's also some airline pilot union representation here. So it's a pretty, pretty wide gamut, actually. And people I, I have followed and know and trust, like former NTSB chairman Robert Sumwald, like he's great. If I were putting together a list of people I would want to be involved in this kind of independent safety review team, this is probably the exact list I would want to see published. Yeah. That being said, will it change how things are done in aviation? Will this mean anything? I mean, my perspective, my initial gut feeling is, is no. What are they going to say that they don't already know other than hire more air traffic controllers, then hire more air traffic controllers, and then, I don't know, increase the FAA budget, and then go on and hire more air traffic controllers and tell pilots to stop making mistakes, which is probably not going to do much of anything at all. 
also, you know, develop new technology and actually roll it out to airports. Don't just put it in JFK and LAX and call it a day. Actually make sure that the stuff works and stays online, which seems to be a big problem with safety systems. But yeah, beyond that, I'm just not sure really what they're going to say. Or even if they do come out with a report, if there's going to be any action on it. That's the thing. It's Are their recommendations going to have the... F- force of, well, they won't have the force of law, but are they going to have the force of, yeah, we'll do what you tell us to do? Or is it going to be, okay, thank you for your time. Off you go. Back to work. Yeah. Kind of the the flow that we see from the NTSB to the FAA where NTSB will make recommendations that get either ignored outright forever or go possibly years or decades without actually ever having action. And I'm a little wary of any any sort of review board or blue ribbon committee or anything like that because we see that all the time in big cities like New York where they just come and then a year or two later they issue recommendations and then none of them are acted on. And that's the end of that. So hopefully this will be different. I don't see how it will be, but regardless of anything that does or does not happen, it will be interesting to read what their recommendations are, since this is such a group of heavy hitters, smart people who know their stuff about this industry. If nothing else, it will provide a good set of documentation for at least beginning to address some of these issues, hopefully sooner rather than later. But but we'll we'll let them do their work. We will let them commissionize and, and we have to happens. progress beyond the point of just yelling at air traffic controllers and pilots to be better because yeah. that doesn't that doesn't work. It's just rude. It's just, yeah, yelling at people usually doesn't work. We'll wait and see. The Boeing company released its first quarter earnings this week, and they were okay. Revenue greatly improved. Profit not so much. So Boeing had revenue for the quarter of seventeen point. I was almost, I was almost said one thousand seven hundred ninety two billion, and that would be quite the revenue. Yeah, I, I should buy some Boeing stock then. Seventeen point nine two billion. There we go. So up twenty eight percent from a year ago, over estimates, but they did post a loss for the quarter. So. They made more, but they also had higher costs. Part of that has to do with rework. They took a charge on rework for the 767. So that's the 767 freighter, but also the KC-46 tanker because the same issue affected them. Boeing in their quarterly call, while they have a large collection of 737s, that need rework, 737 maxes that need rework due to the the vertical stabilizer join to the fuselage. They said that the guidance for this year overall on 737 max deliveries remains the same. All right. Yeah. I mean, maybe just the bulk of the maxes they're churning out are the, the max nine, which I believe is not impacted by this issue. Correct. The max nine is, Could be is possible. Not. We know it's not the max seven since that's Still not certified, but I guess maybe there's just a, a bigger proportion of the Max Nine going out there. It, but maybe these numbers are also completely hypothetical, and we come back in December, and none of this was real. I mean, that's also entirely possible. So Max production will—they're saying 400 to 450 deliveries this year, and production will go up to 38 planes per month. One of Boeing vice presidents basically saying. We're below where we need to be, 
on max production. We're below where we were before the pandemic, and we need to get back there you know, sooner rather than later. Well, everyone is behind in, in every regard, and, and we'll talk about <laughs> that in, in a few seconds. Oh, but we will. Boeing is certainly not the only entity here that is behind on delivery and maintenance and supply chain. That leads well into the next topic, doesn't it? I think it really does. I mean, we've seen these issues crop up from delays on the delivery side to delays getting aircraft back from maintenance. And this week, the list has grown rather long. So United, on its part, has said that there will be 18 delays 18 aircraft delivery delays from Airbus and more than 100 from Boeing. That's a lot of planes. That's a lot considering United doesn't have any new aircraft right now. So these must all be the the A321 Neo LR that they've been they've had on the order books for a very long time. So I assume a delay of 18 means they're going to hit take a delay of getting even their first of these new aircraft. So that's disappointing. And Boeing has told United that their deliveries will be delayed, basically pushing out deliveries a whole year in some cases. So aircraft that were scheduled to blocks of aircraft that were scheduled to be delivered in 2023 will now be delivered in 2024. Aircraft that were scheduled for 2024 will now be delivered in 2025. So great the, news if you are a 757 fan at United. Yeah, that, these that's aircraft true. are supposed to directly replace the 757, which seems to be at least delayed at this point. So, yeah, if you like the 757, especially the 757-300, good news for you. Good news for you. And then there are a growing number of airlines around the world are being impacted by the inability to either service aircraft that have engine issues or basically get those engines back from maintenance because they're lacking parts or the people to do the maintenance or a combination of both. So on the CFM side, so this this is actually one of the first I've seen affecting the CFM side. This has usually been a Pratt and Whitney discussion. And we'll get there. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll get, get there, there. But we've only really discussed this in terms of Air Baltic hilariously having half of its fleet grounded and the other half leased out to other European mm-hmm. airlines. But yeah, interesting to see CFM creep up in the list here. But who, who's impacted? So this is Sri Lankan. They have a few A320 Neos and A321 Neos in the shop, and those aircraft are powered by Leap engines. And those leap engines are so. This is interesting. With the, the Sri Lankan case is interesting because this all came out of a, a newspaper in, in Sri Lanka reporting that the airline didn't have any money, and that's why they were grounding these planes. Oh, that, that's that's nothing new. Well, and the airline came out and said, "No, for once, that's not the case. <laughs> the problem is not us. It's." Waves hand round, pointing at everything else. Yeah, it's we we don't have. The no engines, engines, no fly. Yeah. So it, it's it's not just affecting Pratt & Whitney. However, it is really affecting Pratt & Whitney. Disproportionately. I mean, Disproportionately this, this is so, really yes. a, a Pratt & Whitney issue also featuring CFM. But here we have <laughs> uh, a, a couple more Pratt & Whitney airlines being disproportionately impacted. Air New Zealand has grounded two of its A321neos, uh, again, because of the Pratt & Whitney 
geared turbofan engines. Oh, you even have a little uh, quote I pulled here the blurb. in the note. I you did. pulled the blurb that says, uh, and we're quoting here, essentially, we don't have enough engines. End, End quote, quote. <laughs> from uh, Air New Zealand Group's general manager of engineering and maintenance, Brett Daly, told The Stuff Outlet. That, that's nice. He continued, due to Pratt & Whitney engine availability issues affecting airlines globally, engines on our A320neo and A321neo aircraft are being impacted. This issue is not unique to Air New Zealand. Good of them to spell it out. couple of their aircraft on the ground right now. Who, which one are they? Let's see. So the ones that they'll be they'll be if, pulling if out you of want service. to track them not flying. yeah if you want to if you want to just make sure they're not flying or or check set an alert for when they fly again that'll be an interesting thing to find out. Let's see. We've got Zulu Kilo Dash Oscar Yankee Alpha and then Oscar Yankee Charlie as well. So those two are going to sit for Air New Zealand and on, well, halfway across the Pacific, I suppose, five Hawaiian Airlines A320neos are also grounded awaiting engines. Yeah. Hawaiian, there's an interesting piece put out by Brett Summers this week. Brett Summers? Or Brian, Brian I'm sorry, Summers? Brian Summers, or Brett not, not, not Brett Snyder. Okay. Brian Summers, sorry about that, in his new, uh, relatively new blog, uh, The Airline Observer, which I, I recommend. It's a good read. Basically, that Hawaiian is just really having a rough time right now. And, and one of these issues, of course, is the A321neos that it, it's taken a lot of our just <laughs> They're not working out for them. They have five, actually, on the ground right now, which is a big percentage of this small airline's fleet, which is not great. So they have to continue on with these A330s because the 787s are late. And they're the 321s that replaced the 767s are, are for the most part grounded. So we mentioned a couple of weeks ago how this was impacting airlines like Air Baltic, but this is very clearly a global issue at this point and it doesn't seem to be coming to an end anytime soon. The issue is going to persist. I mean, I don't think anyone is saying, oh, we're going to fix it tomorrow, which is, I mean, would, would be nice, I guess. But it looks like the issue is going to persist at least into next year. I mean, which is, I get there's no easy fix. It, it's not easy to spin up these extremely, extremely delicate supply chains and find, train, and retain, you know, super qualified people to do the work. I, I get that. But man, that sucks. Yeah. What also sucks here is that, again, Brian Summers, not Brett Summers, Brian Summers, goes on <laughs> to, to clarify that Pratt & Whitney is not even apparently on the hook to, to provide restitution, I guess, to Hawaiian at this point. So I'm, I'm just going to quote from his email here. By all means. Sometimes we hear rumors about how suppliers issue – supplier issues is a good thing for an airline because it can leverage contractual obligations to earn restitution. I didn't even know that word is in there. We just said the same thing. But in a blunt comment, Ingram, who is – at Hawaiian said, Hawaiian will have no such luck. And he quotes, what I will say quite definitively is that those penalties fall far short of covering the financial impact of not having the aircraft. And we would much prefer to receive zero penalties because we've got the contractual level of spare engine availability. So not only are these engines out of service taking these aircraft out of service, but they're not even really getting any payout significant payout, at least from Pratt & Whitney, to make the airline whole. So they've got a large chunk of their fleet grounded, but also no revenue coming in from either flying the aircraft or from the supplier that is causing these issues. So that's uh, it's not great. They have over a quarter of their 321neo fleet grounded. 
Not great. They need those. Maybe should have hung on to those 767s a little longer. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to me that a lot of the issues that we're seeing right now could have been avoided if airlines had kept around 757 and 767s. It's kind of strange, especially it, since these – we talked about this before, but these gear turbo fans are not a new concept. I guess maintaining them or keeping them in service is a new concept. <laughs> Who would have thought? I guess like w- was this something where this was happening at such a rate and we just didn't see it because it was so easy to get spares? I guess, yeah. I mean, it wasn't uncommon in the earlier days of the gear turbofan engines. On the, sure, the sure. Point to see like Spirit have Fort Lauderdale just littered with these yellow A320 Neos not doing anything, not even having any engines on board for, for months or weeks at a time. But I guess it's exacerbated at this point because some of these smaller airlines have a smaller fleet. And when you have five of them grounded out of 20, that's a, a quarter of the fleet. That's That's huge for some of these airlines. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that leads, I don't want to say nicely because nicely is not the word, but it's tangentially related to our next topic. More aircraft have been destroyed in Sudan, at least a handful of civilian aircraft, and we have not really much idea on how many private and military aircraft that were parked in Khartoum as of last week, how many of those have been destroyed. But at least four civil aircraft have been destroyed, a MyWay 737-800, Asia Cargo Airlines, which was in Khartoum operating for Badr Airlines, that's a seven or was a 737-300 freighter. There was an ATR-42 that was operated by Salenta out of South Africa, and there was an E-145 operated by aircraft leasing services, and that was being operated on behalf of the United Nations Humanitarian Air Service. And I didn't really know much about the United Nations Humanitarian Air Service. I mean, you've seen the planes that say UN on the white planes with the, the black lettering, and they operate on behalf of the UN, but I didn't really know like what they do and where they came from. And it just so happens we we have a, a piece by a, a talented young writer on the blog that explains exactly what it is and what they do. So it was nice to have this question come up because this aircraft was unfortunately destroyed and then be able to read that piece as, as we were publishing it on the blog. So we'll check that out on the blog. Just realized that my way, 737-800, was a rare unwingleted 738 Ah, yeah, I don't yeah. see many of those. And uh, I still can't get over the fact that, I, that we're looking at this situation and seeing that an A330 was, was destroyed. It, usually in these situations, it's these smaller aircraft, an E-145 or some old pollution. But yeah, a, a very relatively new A3. How, how old is it? Just a five-year-old aircraft was on, on the, the very early moments of the, the fighting here was destroyed. When we mentioned almost the second one was destroyed. So just really, really not good stuff there. I hope that is resolved and the fighting ends there soon. And yeah, for any number of reasons. For the many reasons. Of, the, literally yes. the least of which is because aircraft are being destroyed. Yes. Well, well, I, I think they're they're gone at this point. So yes. moot point. A bunch of other aircraft, including some IL-76s have been destroyed as well. Some Antonov, smaller Antonov cargo aircraft 
have been destroyed in Khartoum. The airport is closed. Sudan's airspace continues to be closed. And there are a few governments that are operating, a few militaries that are operating flights into Sudan to continue evacuating their citizens. The Royal Air Force out of the UK has been operating a number of flights between outside of Khartoum and their base on uh, Cyprus and Akrotiri. And they, I believe, operated, today's Wednesday, they operated a few flights on Wednesday and a few flights on Tuesday. They're basically using C-130s and A-400s to evacuate people out of Sudan, and then they're flying them back to the UK on uh, chartered commercial aircraft, basically. So, I mean, not a great situation, but echoing Jason's sentiment that that hopefully the fighting stops soon. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. This next story is one of those where you read about it and you go, how did that happen? And then there's an NTSB investigation and you go, oh, that's how that happened. That just makes sense, doesn't it? So what happened was a Delta 767 was flying from Prague and into the flight, the pilots received a few warnings and they basically, they couldn't turn the aircraft because they had lost aileron authority. They couldn't move the ailerons. And so they couldn't turn the aircraft. You need to be able to do that. And so as part of the them trying to figure things out, they were running checklists and they were alerted to the fact that there was water leaking out of the one of the, the lavatories. And Two of the lavatories. Two, two of the lavatories. Yeah, basically one of the pairs of lavatories in the middle of the aircraft. And then the water that was leaking basically froze, making it impossible to move the ailerons. Huh. Yeah, this is one of those yeah. almost comical kind of chain of events where this aircraft was taken out of a service earlier, and I'm reading from the flightglobal.com article here, the summary. Basically, the aircraft had been out of service earlier, which required pulling of the forward and aft laboratory drain mast heater, which essentially, when the aircraft is in the air, makes sure that the water in the, the piping system from the laboratories doesn't freeze. And it's possible, they say, that circuit breakers were inadvertently left open, meaning these heaters weren't operating, and the water inside the lavatory drain froze, which caused water back up into the lavatories, which then spilled out and then onto critical systems, which then froze and which made it very difficult to fly the airplane. The flight crew, after playing plumber for a while and, and found the leak and turned off the water, which is just hilarious that these, these people are flying the airplane, but then have to go to the back of the plane and trace a leak and turn off water valves and all that. A little more complicated than just turning on autopilot for this flight, but basically they stopped the leak and they just they followed the checklist for what is the checklist? Like reduced control checklist, something like that. They descended down to 9,000 feet where it got warmer. It's very cold up at higher altitudes and the aircraft descended through 12,000 feet. They felt a jolt and the aircraft was back to normal because the ice melted and they were able to land at JFK. Just really a comical series of events probably spurred on by somebody not following proper procedure and forgetting to turn back on a heater. But just kind of of crazy that forgetting to turn on a water heater for the laboratories could have such an unintended cascading consequence that it would actually jeopardize the, the flight safety of the aircraft. That's just crazy. 
the procedure is the jammed or restricted flight controls. There and it is. Thank like, you. Like we're running, we're running the jammed or restricted flight controls procedure, and they said they were communicating with Delta's maintenance controllers. How do you even call that one out? Like the bathroom was leaking. We can't turn the plane. Please help. I mean, <laughs> eventually they figured it out. So yeah, it, it, it's I mean just, that's that's what gets that's what's me impressive. They're like, oh, the, the water probably drained. Well, obviously, the water leaking from the lavatory has jammed your uh, your flight controls. What? I mean, oh, yeah, okay. okay all that, right, yeah, that, that, that all makes sense. That, that makes sense. Thank you. And basically, the, the NTSB says at the end of this article, uh, the water likely traveled into and drained through a canted pressure bulkhead in the vicinity of the aileron control system components located within the main landing gear well. The water likely froze on one or more components, which led to the pilot's limited control of the ailerons. Just a kind of wacky set of circumstances that could have been, at the wrong moment, a, a very dangerous situation. But in this case, it seemed more like a nuisance that had the pilots playing plumber and mechanic and pilot all at once. You definitely don't want that to happen, but nope. it, I'm glad that it all worked out and they, they got it. They got it solved. I'm really glad we're reading about this in this type of accident report or incident report and investigation rather than another type. So, Jason. Yes. We talked a little bit about Boeing missing a profit, but do you know who made a profit last year? I do, and it's because I'm reading the show notes. Uh -huh. oh. it, it would be, I mean, spoiler alert, but uh, Russian Airlines made a profit in 2022. And do you know you know why? I know you know why. Yeah, because I wrote the show notes. You wrote the thing. But it turns out when you don't need to pay lease payments or you can't do maintenance because you can't get the parts and because you have state subsidies, you don't have to worry about making money because you're not spending anything. Fuel is probably really cheap there right now too. So whatever, it doesn't matter. Passenger traffic decreased by 14.2% and cargo traffic by 59%. But somehow the Russian airlines are, are making uh, their profit money because they don't have to spend my don't have to spend money to make money apparently. So they stole a whole bunch of airplanes. They're not doing maintenance on it because they can't do maintenance. I mean, was it this week where we saw one of an I think it was an Aeroflot triple seven or maybe a three thirty? And that was a triple seven. Yep, triple seven in Indonesia. I want to say that's just Thailand, like I think. Thailand that just had like a big chunk of the wing root missing. To the panels on the wing where the, the wing meets the, the fuselage were missing. And I forget who posted it, but somebody posted a diagram and said, yep, those panels can don't have to be there. And here's the That's fuel the penalty that you, you take on the missing panels. It wasn't truly a flight safety issue. It's just no airline would actually fly an aircraft like this out of choice. That aircraft would be grounded, I'm sure, by any other airline not in this position. They can do it. I'm sure the fuel hit was astronomical for a flight like that. It's just a piece of the wing loop. Well, especially from, from Moscow to Yeah, that, to that's Phuket. a long way to go with that fuel penalty. But yeah, not actually a safety issue, but I can't imagine like American dispatching an aircraft like that or, or any other airline for that matter. Yeah. I mean, maybe from an outstation to... Like back to to home, but it arrived like that. Yeah, I mean, maybe it lost it in flight. <laughs> in flight maybe maybe they fell out in flight. That that is possible. That's Extremely true. unlikely, being that it was multiple pieces, but possible. 
we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they fell out on the way to, to forget. But the aircraft did push back from the gate and fly back to Russia. Alrighty. So, so they definitely operated the aircraft. So Russian Airlines made, quote unquote, a profit. Cool. If you look at the numbers X subsidies, they did not make money last year. And they've already gone back to the government to ask for more money. So they're probably not going to make money this year. You know who else also didn't make money last year? Norwegian long haul. I mean- Norse. Yeah. Norse. You meant to say Norse. It's okay. Yes. I often Sorry. get the two confused because they are in fact the same thing. But Norse lost 146 million, I assume that's dollars in 2023 and had an abysmal load factor of 63%. Great from a passenger standpoint. Yeah. I mean, sure. Everybody gets their own row. Yeah. Great if you uh, like an empty 787. But if you are operating said 787, that's not great. Yeah. Norse, for their part, recently raised an additional $14 million, though it's unclear if that additional capital is going to be enough to sustain them. It looks like they have enough cash on hand for, for a while, so hopefully it'll be enough to get them going, especially as they move into the into the summer yes, season. And it definitely will not be coming from any state or government no. for Norse. That much is 100% clear. But again, this is not – I'm not – being down on Norse here, I like Norse I, or Norwegian, whatever. It's the same thing. I like the concept. I like having the competition in the space. But man, they have got to. I, I can't imagine they're able to to hang on like this all too much longer. We've seen yeah. this play out before, and it doesn't end well. What they said in their financial results is basically, we didn't get to do what we wanted to do this year or, or last year. So I'm like, I, I understand that. I understand that completely. But I am not running a business. No. And so their goal is to, you know, further expand this year and really ride high into the summer and hopefully they they can do that. Okay. Good for them. I hope so. On the flip side of things is Alaska Airlines announced in their quarterly report that they're going to accelerate the dissolution of their A321 Neo fleet. Oh. They will be gone by the end of September. Boo. And Alaska is just fresh off retiring all of its A320s that it received from Virgin. They said they would do that in 2023, but they did it like January 1st at midnight, January, uh, 2023. <laughs> like they, they wasted no time at all. I'm really disappointed by this because I've flown Alaska's 321neo quite a number of times recently, and it is an enjoyable, comfortable aircraft. I'd rather fly on that on a four, five, six-hour transcon any day over a max, which I'm actually doing next week. But if they you know, happen to sub out the NG or max for a 321neo, I would not be too upset about it. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's kind of interesting to watch the airline try and couch. I mean, obviously, airlines, are their job is to make money. But what disappoints me is often when economically advantageous decisions are couched in terms of passenger. It's good for our passengers to have a common fleet and you know we think it'll benefit them. But then basically in the same report saying, well, we can pack a ton more seats into the to the Max 9 as soon as the 321s are gone. I mean, that's just a lot more people on our planes, on each yeah. plane. Yeah. And ironically, it, it seems like Alaska is an airline that is seemingly not having many issues with its A321neo fleet and the uh, the GTF engine. So there, there's some irony there. It looks like they do actually have two out of their 10 parked in odd places. One of them is in 
San Antonio. I think two of them are San Antonio. If they're in San Antonio, that makes sense is, is, as far as exiting the fleet. Yeah. So two of them may have exited the fleet already. Not sure if that's a mechanical thing or paint thing or if they're actually exiting the fleet, but the rest of the fleet is operating normally. So just kind of ironic that the the airline that doesn't want these aircraft seems to be the one that can keep them in the air. <laughs> the one that's issue. having no problems whatsoever. Maybe that's a sign. Maybe they should rethink this. Or maybe they should give their aircraft to somebody else. I hear Hawaiians in the market. I am sure there are many, many airlines globally circling like a, I don't know, animal that circles. What am I looking for? A buzzard or something here <laughs> over these aircraft because these are these are young. Circling like an like, animal. That's like circling. an animal. I don't know. What I'm trying to say is these are very desirable aircraft. Um, actually, remember, the these came from Virgin America, and Virgin was actually the launch operator of the 321 yeah. Neo. So, this, so some of these are not exactly the newest aircraft out there, but any 321 Neo is a relatively new aircraft that right. I'm sure many airlines would be very happy to take into their fleet, especially given the delays coming from Airbus. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Sleepy, huh? Yeah, it's, it's late in the day, but I'm powering through for you. Okay, let's finish this. Here we go. Columbia, the Colombian competition regulator, has said that Avianca and Viva can merge, but. So this goes back to Avianca became business partners with Viva without taking shareholding stake that would give them control of the airline. And Colombian regulator said, or the competition regulator said, whoa, 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 whoa. Avianca said, we could do this because it's just money changing hands. We're not taking over the airline. And the competition regulator says, yeah, but you kind of own them and you can't do that. So now they're saying, yes, you can merge if you do some things. And most of those things relate to, to two things. The first is Avianca has to assume the liability for making Viva's passengers that had booked tickets and then been stranded whole. So they either have to provide them a voucher worth 150% of what they paid for their tickets. They have to get them where they're going on time, which is impossible because that time's already passed. Or they have to give them a full cash refund for, for the price of their tickets. Okay, all of those should have probably happened anyway, but go on. Well, yes, they're happening, but if they're going to merge, the regulator says that Avianca has to assume liability for that or, or responsibility for that. And then the second thing is, is that Avianca and Viva cannot coordinate before the merger is official. They, they cannot work together in any way. They can't do anything that would kind of advance a joint operation. They need to stay completely separate until the merger is official. Then they can do stuff. I hope there's some more teeth here. I, I can't stand anytime we see a merger like this, just letting two companies merge and then, or one company gobble up another and then that that's it because that competition will, will not come back. We're seeing the same thing play out here with JetBlue and, and Spirit where, yeah, they intend to merge, but they are still acting completely as separate entities. Spirit keeps doing its own thing. JetBlue keeps doing its own thing, ostensibly competing with each other. But again, I, I, I taking competition off the market, especially in South America, where there's already very little competition to begin with, it's not great. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see if this happens and then what effect it has on 
additional consolidation in South American aviation, which I I can't say I see What's as, left? as a great thing. There's still some things there to consolidate, I think. If you say so. We'll see. We'll leave it at that for right now until Columbia decides whether or not they can actually merge. Crossing many, many oceans and going to an airline that is still trying to get off the ground. Jet Airways 2.0 was in court this week. They, Jet Airways 1.0 still owes a lot of people a lot of money. And so their creditors are trying to recover their funds. And one of the way they're trying to do that is to sell three triple sevens that belong ostensibly to Jet Airways. Jet Airways went to court this week to try and prevent that from happening. It's unclear whether or not they will be successful and be able to keep the 777s that I don't think they can fly, at least until they kind of get the rest of the airline off the ground. And that might be a problem too, because their air operator certificate expires next month. And no one thinks they won't get a renewal. However, it sounds like there's a delay in the certification process. And if that happens, if they miss the deadline, they basically have to start all over again. That's not great. Not great. No. It'll be interesting to see if and when Jet Airways 2.0 ever does ever make it off the ground. We'll see. We will. Not an see. easy task. No, no. But good luck to them. Yeah. So actually, last week, we were discussing JetBlue's Amsterdam flights. And a few weeks ago, we had been talking about how JetBlue themselves had called the slots to Amsterdam that they had secured not commercially viable. As it turns out, the slots are quite commercially viable. Yeah. Seems like whatever, I don't know, negotiating tactics JetBlue might have had ongoing with Shipple that turned out to, to work. And either they got what they wanted or they they had it all along. Because last time we talked about this, JetBlue announced they were going to do it late this summer, but gave no start date, no flight times, no fare. It wasn't available to book. And suddenly, let's see, just 10, 15 days later, we have all the details you can need. Service starts out of JFK, August 29th. And the flight time is, is a little late. It leaves JFK 10 p.m., arrives Amsterdam 11.35 a.m. Flight out of Boston when it starts September 20th, is much better. An 8 p.m. departure arriving 9.35 a.m. That's perfectly ideal, actually. Yeah. These are kind of my preferred flight times, unless you have a connection. When if you're booking JetBlue, you almost certainly don't have a connection. And the flights back to the U.S. are either 11.35 a.m. to Boston or 1.35 p.m. JFK. These are great. I can't imagine this is going to move the needle much on this market since this is one flight a day each way. And Delta and KLM have this market on lockdown already. So it seems like this will be the one of the final no-brainer options JetBlue announces for long haul with their A321neo LRs coming on. And in the future, they're promising to be a little bit more creative with their destinations and then just London, Paris, and Amsterdam. So I'm excited to see what they do next. But right now, uh, it's a nice option. It's certainly commercially viable, as you said. And if I have a need to go to Amsterdam and the, the price is right, I will certainly give this a look. Burlington, Vermont to Zaragoza, Spain. A thin market. I don't know if the 321neo <laughs> LR or XLR is quite efficient enough to make that work. But hey, submit it. See what happens. That's my dart at a map route suggestion for JetBlue. We did a little research 
after we read this story because Jason and I knew that it was possible, but we didn't know really what kind of birds we were talking about because a United Express flight operating at 12,000 feet over Texas suffered a dual bird strike. Yeah, not a headline I really expected to see. I definitely clicked that and gave it a read and looked up the data. And sure enough, this little E-145 operating from Houston to Laredo, Texas, was just cruising along happily at what this kind of flight cruises along happily at, which in this case was 12,000 feet and half an hour into the flight. You can see in the data there is a very clear visible drop in airspeed where they drop from a ground speed of 368 knots and a couple minutes later, not even a couple minutes, they're at 303 and then it keeps, the speed keeps dipping. There's a speed of 292, 285 and then there's this odd dip that I'm pretty sure is a uh, reporting glitch that we, we have investigated and we'll look into further all the way down to 248 knots, which may or may not be accurate. But yeah, just really odd to hear of a flight at cruise, admittedly a low cruise at, at 12,000 feet, suffering a, a dual engine, not a flame out, but a dual engine bird strike is just kind of remarkable. And yeah, it turns out there are birds that fly at much higher altitudes than that when they migrate. Who knew? Scientists knew, Wikipedia knew, <laughs> I learned something new. Jason learned something new, and that's what counts. Yeah. Okay, so last things last. Jason, you have put together multiple architectural models, you have schematics and designs, and you are now ready to enter the what competition? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get my materials together quickly enough for, oh. the, uh, for the FAA Sustainable Tower Design Initiative that was announced last year. But the FAA has announced that Practice for Architecture and Urbanism here based out of New York has won the FAA's or they've been selected by the FAA to their design was selected for 31 control towers at candidate airports across the U.S. from all the way from Bellingham, Washington, down to uh, Key West. So basically, the FAA is looking to replace a multitude of beyond useful life air traffic control towers at airports across the country. And to do that as not cheaply, but as cost effectively as possible with as much sustainable materials as possible. They wanted to go with one single uniform design. And it's not the prettiest thing in the world. It's basically a, a concrete core with some steel beams on the outside that lead up to a variable height control cab, basically these towers that they are rolling out at first range from 60 feet to 119 feet. But 500 million, half a billion dollars set aside in the bipartisan infrastructure law to support site evaluation, preparation, and early construction activities. So I guess this will cost a, a bit more than half a billion, but groundbreaking begins in 2024. So if you see an oddly multiplying number of the same air traffic control tower in the US, know that it, you are not dreaming. It's not a glitch in the matrix. It is actually efficiency in action. There you go. Yeah, I can imagine taking off at an airport with one of those towers and then going to land at the airport with one of those towers and going, wait a second. Wait a I second. I was just I, here. I wonder if any of them are going to be exactly the same. I'd imagine that's probably a standard height that they want these, but for reasons like obstructions of buildings or, or terrain, they vary in height. But I would assume most of these are going to end up being uh, the same height. But the smallest of them, the 60-foot one they have a rendering of, it just looks 
it looks pretty silly because they have basically the base building and then the control cab. There's no really this tiny, tiny, tiny minimal concrete core section sticking out. There's, but, there's no tower part. Right. It's just kind of a building with a nice hat. But it's good to, <laughs> good to see that we'll link to it and you can look at some of the designs and renderings. But just nice to see that a sustainable, repeatable initiative to save money is actually being implemented. Because we don't always see that in government. I mean, I'll take what I can get. Yeah, I'll take it. All right. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to sleep so I can wake up in the morning and catch my flight home. So I came via Copenhagen on the way, but I'm going home nonstop. Going to get home in time to pick the kids up from school. So how about All right. I hope you don't end up in the penalty box at O'Hare. Oh, well, hopefully I've got enough time either way. But that's what I'm going to go do. And you go enjoy the rest of your day. And I will talk to you later. And good folks, we will talk to you next week. This has been episode 213 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. 